Hello, and welcome to the Platform Podcast, part of the Marketplace Risk Master's Program. The Master's Program offers a full suite of virtual content, engagement, and resources focused on risk management, trust and safety, and legal strategy for startups. Be sure to download the mobile app from the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website to connect with hundreds of participants, speakers, and sponsors directly. The Master's Program is presented by Aon, Checker, PackSafe, and we want to thank them and all of our sponsors, including Appers Insights, King & Spalding, Seifarth Shaw, Sitter City, Spectrum Labs, Tint AI, and Willis Towers Watson. Check out the Master's Program Sponsor Center on the Marketplace Risk website for more information about our sponsors to view content they have contributed and to contact them directly. Thank you for tuning into the Platform Podcast, hosted by Marketplace Risk's L. Tucker, a former journalist who writes, speaks, and consults on the sharing of gig economy. L. is also the chair of the Marketplace Risk Advisory Board. Please note, this podcast has been prepared for informational purposes and is not legal advice by the Marketplace Risk team or the presenters. The material discussed should not be construed as legal advice or a legal opinion on any specific issue. We urge you to consult a lawyer concerning your own situation and any specific legal questions you may have. Please contact us at info@marketplacerisk.com, and we can put you in touch with the appropriate professional. And now, without further ado, I will hand things over to Al. Hi, and welcome to the latest episode of the Platform Podcast. I'm very excited to talk today to Iman Fadai, who is founder of White Lance. Now, White Lance is a white label freelance marketplace and is pretty new. So I'm really excited to hear the story of how it came about. Welcome, Iman. Thanks very much for having me on. It's great to have you. So tell us a bit about White Lance, how it's come about, and what what was your journey to to setting this up? It's it's really interesting. Thanks very much. Sure, I'll be happy to. So, uh, we started a few years ago by building our own marketplace. It's called Crowd Skills, mm-hmm. and we recognised that there was a big pool of talent in universities. So students come out of university with all sorts of fantastic skills, and then they struggle to find their first job. And at the same time, there are lots of companies looking for affordable and local talent. So we built a marketplace to match these two user groups together. And we uh, ran that and built it up to several thousand users. Um, and it's, it was going great. Um, but at the end of last year, we recognized that there was a lot of entrepreneurs who were building similar service marketplaces. Um, and they would often come to us saying, you know, how did you develop your technology? What process did you go through? Uh, and these are entrepreneurs who are all facing the same problems that we face when we were building our marketplace, namely mm. the big upfront cost of building the tech, um, the time it took to get to market, uh, the hassle involved in understanding all the regulations and so forth, and the the cost also of having to bring in a development team. So we recognize that there might be an opportunity here in helping other marketplace entrepreneurs like ourselves by providing a white label version of our own platform. So that's how we shifted from being a marketplace company ourselves into a uh, white label um, marketplace. Provider. Yeah. So I suppose being a marketplace founder yourself, it it's a good way to know what, what the challenges are to be then able to sort of help to solve them, you know, with your, with your tech, because I, I, I presume that 
when people have a, a great gig economy idea and they want to set it up, tech, am I right in saying, will be one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest hurdles at, at the start? Yeah, I mean, as a marketplace company, you are a technology company that you're providing a technology service. So technology is obviously vast majority of the work that you're going to be doing. Obviously, there's a lot of community building and marketing surrounding that. But ultimately, if the product is good, people will use it and people will come back for it once you get it up and running. So that is a, a huge part of it. And for entrepreneurs, it's the biggest hurdle in actually getting started. Mm-hmm. It's quite easy to see the marketplace with a few of your service providers and spend some money and, and reach your first few clients, paying clients as well. But um, just getting the basic tech off the ground, you know, profiles and messages and payments and uh, transactional emails and so forth, all of that is a lot of hassle. So usually what happens is you, as an entrepreneur, would go to a bunch of different development agencies and get a quote for, you know, 100,000, 150,000 and either raise money and build the tech yourself or use some kind of a, a no-code system by bringing together a number of different tools, integrate them through a process like Zapier, for example, and then get an MVP off the ground. Um, And that's great, but there are some challenges around that as well. Um, It's always not 100% fit for purpose. It's difficult to get some sort of business models off the ground with that kind of setup. Or you're very lucky and you find a fantastic CTO who's willing to do everything free for for a slice of the equity. Um, Or you go to an existing uh, marketplace company like ours so that there are a number of them out there um people may know know share tribe for example it's a brilliant example of you know if you're building a kind of a listing platform like airbnb where it's a a standard marketplace where your suppliers are listed and then you can just go in and and purchase or hire a product whether it's a house or a person or or an item um share tribe is the best place to go Uh, there is a number of others out there as well um but in our space the missing a link was uh, a share tribe for the reverse marketplace, which share tribe doesn't cope with. So our marketplace was more along the lines of Upwork, where the customer posts a job and then they expect proposals to come through from the service providers. And there was a gap in the market in that space. And that's what our uh, white label solution responds to. Right. So it's the other other way around to what you might normally expect. Um with the the user provider um and that's that's what sort of makes yours different is that right yeah that's right so um you know one way to describe it is that if you walk a normal marketplace is that you walk into you know a market off the you know on the street market and you look at all of the products that are available and you can point at one and pick it and say i'm going to buy this for the listed price whereas a reverse marketplace is where you go to a market and you stand in the middle of the market and you shout out, you know, I'm looking for a packet of chips. It has to be red, you know, it has to be salt and vinegar, et cetera. And then the shop owners come to you and say, look, I've got one, it's 10 pounds. I've got one, it's 20 pounds. So that's the reverse marketplace. And it's more suited to higher value contracts where there tends to be a lot of negotiation and there needs to be a contract created, which is a little bit more complex and, there may be several elements involved. For example, there may be uh, an upfront cost for a particular part of the project, and then there'll be a repeating element of that contract, maybe several hours a week. Then there may be an, a separate part of the contract, which is several hours a month of work. 
And all of those need to be negotiated. It's not as simple as just buying a product for a fixed mm-hmm. fee, which, which tends to be the, the kind of marketplace that these other marketplace technology companies provide. So what are the challenges in terms of the technology when it comes to creating that that reverse marketplace? Because obviously, from what you said there, that sounds more complex from, from a standard transaction on a gig marketplace. So what? how does that affect the, the, the technology um, that you've got to create? Well, the tough one of the tough parts is um, connecting everything with the, the payments integration. So on our system, you have uh, a generic contract, but within that you have two different types of uh, milestones. So you have a single milestone, which has a fixed fee. And then you have a repeating milestone, which is like an hourly contract on Upwork, where you can specify the number of hours and whether those hours are repeating every week or every month. So you can have a weekly contract or a monthly contract. And then obviously there's a lot of you know transactional emails and starting and pausing and restarting and different statuses of these different milestones. Have they been approved by both sides? Have they been signed off by the, the, the correct person, etc.? And then connecting that to the payment system where you know money is held. In our case, we use uh, Stripe and Mango Pay, and we tend to use Stripe as our default uh, payments provider. Mm-hmm. And our customers connect their Stripe account to uh, our tool. And um, then when a particular milestone has been created, uh, that needs to be you know, directly linked to the Stripe account and that payment needs to be taken Then it's held within uh, a connected account. And then when the customer is ready to sign off on that and they're happy to approve those funds to go to the, to the service provider, uh, then we need to trigger that payment. And then what happens if it's longer than 90 days, which is their limit? And what happens if, um, you know, the payment fails? And there's, there's a lot of kind of complexity between different types of milestones and how payments interact with one another and how disputes are managed, how refunds are managed. Uh, it's it's not as simple as a, as as buying a product off a shelf um, when you have a number of different moving parts within a contract. And all this was presumably created not with a view to actually you know create you know it being a a white label. To it, this was actually created for for crowd skills um, in the first yeah. place. Yeah, most of it was, but um, since we decided to white label it, in we began work in January. Um, there were a number of processes we were running manually ourselves for our own marketplace, which we have since uh, built you know, automated features for. So um, it's a lot more advanced uh, mm-hmm. than our existing particles marketplace. And you, you've said that this works better for, you know, this the kind of reverse marketplace is better for higher value um, you know, contracts, that type of thing. Can you give me some examples of the type of um, gig platforms that are using this technology? I mean, you don't need to name names, but just so that I can get a feel for, for what type of work it suits. Um, sure. So there are some of the, the standard things you'd expect, like IT uh, service providers, like um, consultants, for example, who you'll say, the customer is looking for developing an app or a website or something digital, and they're looking to hire several people who can build out that solution. Um, so with a typical marketplace, to 
replicate this, you would have to find the right developer and then buy a certain number of hours of their time. Whereas in the reverse marketplace, you say this is the project that needs to be accomplished. Um, and then when you agree on the terms of that project, um, that's the initial contract. But then things may change. You, you may need to change the specifications or you may need to add additional parts to that contract until it's finished. You may need an ongoing contract as well. So that's an example of how the reverse marketplace model is, is more suited to this. Um, but there are other service service areas like uh, I had a call with an archaeologist yesterday. They're looking to build uh, a platform to match their specialist archaeologists mm. with uh, you know construction firms, but they also want to hire out diggers as well. So you have the reverse marketplace model and the regular marketplace model combined within the same platform. Mm -hmm. um, there are other types of clients who are doing things like uh, consulting. Uh, so a platform to, to find the right consultants who will pitch for a specific um, projects, you know, government contract that they need to be working on. Again, it's, it's a fairly complex environment there. Mm -hmm. uh, we have people working in the real estate space looking for notarization or escrow services. Um, uh, there are others who um, are doing similar to what we did in the student space, connecting students with like, work experience opportunities or full-time opportunities or, or freelance work, yeah. uh, which is not just a question of finding the right students and hiring them for an hour. It's more find, posting a job and saying, this is an opportunity that we have within our company. We're looking for the right student. And they follow the more traditional employment uh, user journey where you post the job and you expect to receive back CVs. Again, that's the reverse marketplace yeah. model. Yeah. So it's interesting that your launch has obviously coincided with a, a very interesting, shall we call it, year for everyone. Sure. I've seen a you know a huge um, increase in the amount of people setting up founding gig economy mm. platforms. How do you think that this timing for you has made a difference to to your growth and what have you seen that maybe you wouldn't have seen if you had done this in in 2019 it's definitely sped up our growth we've seen more interest from entrepreneurs to build a marketplace and we have several clients who have specifically pointed to the pandemic as the reason why they're launching their marketplace i think the perspective I have is that as unemployment increases, you have a value in an online marketplace that can connect people to work remotely. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a social value involved there and marketplaces have um, a great deal to offer in that um, situation. Um, so a lot of the entrepreneurs who are chatting with us and, and looking to launch marketplaces are also socially minded who they see a huge population of people in their specific sector um, out of work for for this reason, and they see they see this as an opportunity for a business, but also as providing a service to these you know talented people who aren't able to find work by connecting with them, with connecting them with instead of connecting them with local people, connecting them with perhaps international clients or people remotely in a way for them to find work while they're waiting for a full time job to come about. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's that sort of ad hoc, you know, on demand element of it, which, you know, allows people to maybe sort of, you know, piece together um, mm. an income in, in that would maybe replace or support a, a job where they've maybe been made redundant or, or furloughed. And, you know, this is mm-hmm. what I'm seeing in the gig economy, allowing people to, you know, to, to use technology to access work that can, you know, really help them to, to um, you know, make their, their income either what it was or close to what it was before before the pandemic. Yeah, so- and also just a quick add-on here is mm-hmm. that I think the my view is that the services market is undergoing a revolution from traditional high street style agency model where you'd have if you're looking to hire a taxi you would pick up a phone it would connect you to a real operator it would connect you to a driver and now obviously with uber and lyft etc technology is replacing the role of that connector it's also replacing the role of the sort of administration of the contract the payments of the contract all the rest of it as well um same thing is happening in every sector whether it's the legal sector or the architecture sector, I see that the global services market is going to shift, at least a significant portion of it is going to shift from an offline agency model into an online marketplace model. And what COVID has done is it's fast-tracked that by forcing people to shift some of their operations online. So now many businesses are looking around and saying, do we really... We obviously can manage without having to come to an office. We can do a lot of work remotely. We can do our hiring remotely. We can do our contract management remotely. And I think this has helped the marketplace economy get to the next level much faster than it otherwise would have done by opening up the eyes of regular businesses to say you can work online without suffering hugely. Yeah, I think, you know, in a lot of ways, businesses that have just thought to themselves, you know, that's not for us. Um, you know, it, we don't need to to change. Have been, you know, suddenly had the the carpet pulled out from under their feet, and, mm-hmm. and realised that you know they weren't future proofing their business because nobody had anticipated a change like this. But actually, adop- yeah. adopting the, the, these types of technology can actually not only change things for now and help them to survive, but also protect them from from any other massive changes that might come. I think it's opened us all our eyes up really I suppose to, to the fact that things can change overnight um, and that's that's a huge um, huge thing isn't it um, mm-hmm. you talked about Stripe I'm interested to hear you know what what that what how that works for you and what else maybe comes alongside that I mean how do you cope really with the you know the security of payments and does it come with any um, you know extra add-ons that that help the the white lance um you know um the 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 technology to be more secure Mm -hmm. sure i mean um we don't do anything particularly special with stripe other than use its existing uh, product so when you connect our platform with stripe you create your own stripe account and you uh, connect your api credentials to our system so that uh, whenever a payment is processed, it's, it's run through your Stripe account. Um, and as part of that, there are certain kind of technical requirements and security requirements that Stripe requires. And of course, that we're compliant with all of that stuff. But um, if our customers are looking for additional risk reduction uh, relating to fraud and other kind of, um, 
risk elements, they can use some of Stripe's additional products like Radar, for example, that uh, uses machine learning to uh, detect fraud and block fraud um, from being able to pull in millions of data points and uh, identify what are the, the, the potential um, fraudulent transactions that are happening. Mm-hmm. So if you if our clients want to use that, they can use their Stripe account to connect to those products and everything will work you know, within their account. Okay. Uh, but we're not doing anything, you know, ab- above and beyond what Stripe is already doing. Okay, okay. And in terms of um, the, the sort of vetting process, because obviously, you know, a gig economy marketplace means, you know, lots of people registering and some of them might be legitimate many of them are i hope but some of them not how mm-hmm. how does white lance deal with that um that vetting sure so it depends on the needs of our customer so our system is we provide an out of the out of the box solution uh, which you can launch in 24 hours and go live in 24 hours um and i can speak to what systems we have in place for that but um from the outside outset you can also build custom features on top of our platform. So if somebody says, well, I only really want people from this particular country or this town, and I only want to accept people with this kind of email address or something else, you know, whatever those requirements are, we can definitely build that for them if they have a kind of a high risk scenario that they want to add additional vetting processes. But our out of the box solution comes with a number of different features to help automate the process of vetting as, as much as possible. So one of them is, of course, you can choose, do you want to automatically enable any provider to sign up and to be activated, or do you want to manually approve each one? And our platform enables you to do that. But on top of that, you can also have certain requirements of the profile of the freelancer and or of the service provider before they're activated. So do you want them to provide a photo, you know, an introduction, etc.? Do you want them to provide a reference from a previous employer that they have and provide their contact information so that you can contact them and manually uh, approve them. And then you can, if you have called that person or you've emailed them and you've got confirmation, then you can tick that box and say, yes, this has been, um, this reference has been approved. And then that will display on the uh, service provider's profile so that it adds additional value in terms of the level of trust for the end customer. So there are a number of different features that you can use and you can really decide what level of vetting you would like to go with versus what level of uh, kind of automation or self-reliance do you do you want the, the system to be able to scale infinitely without you having to do anything or do you want to take a more kind of customized approach a more curated approach mm-hmm. oh, that's great and um, you talked uh, we only chatted before you talked about sort of technical risk as well can you tell me a bit more about that because obviously we love a bit of risk here at um, platform <laughs> podcast well, I mean, we follow the kind of standard security protocols that you would normally require with the marketplace. Uh, we're based pretty much wholly on AWS. We're using a, uh, a serverless approach. So we're making best use of all of AWS's native security uh, infrastructure. So you know, we use IAM and Cognito for authentication and so forth. And, and then we've got their normal firewalls and uh, and uh, we track uh, every, all the events that's happening with CloudWatch and, um, and have, have an eye on everyone who's engaged in the system so that we can notify and, and, and track potential uh, 
uh, you know, fraudulent or potential security yeah. risks and Amazon Guard Duty and various other of AWS's internal tools to, to manage that risk. Mm -hmm. um, of course, we, as default, we back up everything every you know half an hour and you can uh, restore that backup anytime you like. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I think we're, we are above and above, above board in terms of all of our security side and we are, take regular security uh, checks as well to make sure that we're using the cutting edge stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you to do a bit of fortune telling for me as we finish up our, okay. our chat. So um, obviously, <laughs> um, strange times have got even stranger recently because obviously Europe is now um, locking down a bit further. And, um, you know, where is where is that going to leave the, the gig economy and, and the next year? You've had a very interesting year setting this up and obviously in the midst of the pandemic as well. But how do you see things panning out? And I mean, you don't have to answer me about the pandemic because I don't think anyone knows about that. But in terms of the gig economy, do you see it gathering strength? And, and what part do you think technology like White Lance will, will play in that if it does? Um, I think the natural progression of marketplaces and the freelance economy is going to continue, but it's just been fast-tracked a little bit. So what may have taken several years will now have taken place in kind of six months. So I think the there is an ongoing progression of the freelance market contracts that are offline and following traditional um, employment models are definitely shifting towards a more flexible model. And much of that is going to be done online, online marketplaces. Um, now, what's happened is that businesses have seen it's possible to, to do that, and they've been forced to do that. So whereas they may have had to do that in five years time, they have had to learn how to do that quickly in a year. Mm -hmm. So I think marketplaces across the board are going to spring up faster than before. I think there will be a, a growth of niche marketplaces um, corresponding to levels of unemployment within certain sectors that have been more uh, affected than others. But then there will probably be um, a withdrawal when the pandemic is over and people want more full-time employment there will be a kind of a partial backtracking uh, before you know the the normal movement towards marketplaces continues so uh that's my overall prediction quickly moving forward and then a, a bit, bit of a pause when the pandemic is over and then continue the upward growth towards the bigger and better marketplaces yeah, I think sometimes we all envisage this sort of day when the pandemic was over and it would be sort of like VE day and we'd all be running out into the streets and hugging. But I, just, I think that, you know, <laughs> it's not going to be like that. And this gradual progression maybe to a return to normality, as you say, might mean that, you know, for a, a period people are returning to their offices and, you know, really wanting to get back into that, um, you know, that full-time work again. For, for a while but it's almost like you know the the um, pandora's box has been opened hasn't it and i don't think mm. it can be shut again and i think that change at this scale and this 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 pace 
you know, it, it can't be rewound. And to me, that that's a good thing. People have seen mm. the opportunities and they've seen the future. So even if there is a bit of backpedaling for a while, just because, you know, people want a bit of normal again, um, mm. I think that um, the future certainly does point towards, you know, marketplaces being, um, you know, being how we live and work. Well, for those people who wanted to taste what it's like not following the traditional work model, they've had the opportunity to do that. So there will be a small percentage of the population who immediately figure out, wow, I want to live this way. I want to be, you know, not forced to, to stay in my, you know, my house, but I have the flexibility of living how I want to. So I think there will be an initial boost from that. Uh, but even for people who just want to go back to how they normally do things, they, the underlying business infrastructure will have been put in place to manage contracts and so, so um, you know, on a more uh, technical basis rather than doing following the business as usual. So I think a, the HR space uh, will have had a, a big kind of disruptive period where lots of their um, systems are now going to be automated by technology. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. We maybe need to get you back in a in a year and, and see how many of our predictions have come true. So thank you so much, um, Iman, for being on the Platform Podcast and I wish you all the best with White Lance. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning into the Master's Program Platform Podcast. Check out the Master's Program on the Marketplace Risk website at marketplacerisk.com where you will find 12 tracks of content featuring over 80 speakers in more than 65 sessions. You can also download the mobile app to connect with participants, speakers, and sponsors from around the world. Be sure to follow us on social media at Marketplace Risk. Tune in next week for another podcast.